Well, good morning. You know, it's a privilege being up here. Uh, I did want to tell you about Omar, the guy in the, in the video. Oh, there he is. Stand up, Omar. Look at him. Look at him. Yeah, Omar is a uh, good friend of mine and uh, just really thrilled um, to be mentoring him and have him part, him and his family part of our life, part of his church. And uh, just try to ignore the popping. They'll get it figured out. Um, but thanks for sharing your story, Omar. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to stand right here. Okay. All right. Are we done with this? Yeah. Okay. All right. At least now when I'm done, I can drop the mic. All right. So, you know, it's, a, it's really a privilege to be up here. Um, it's my third time coming and talking with you guys. And, and uh, you know, I was just thinking about being up here talking and sharing the word with you. And uh, just what, what an amazing uh, group of teachers that come across this pul- pulpit. And, you know, last week, Pastor Albert came and, and talked about the blood. Just amazing message. Of course, he's been doing that for a long time, so we're just kind of used to getting awesome things from him. But next week, Ivan Tate, and of course, uh, Pastor Scott, who's just been blowing us away with some amazing Word of God. So to be part of that group, um, standing up here, it's it's kind of intimidating, but it certainly is an honor. So uh, glad to be here sharing with you guys. You know, I, what I wanted to do today is is kind of talk about what I've been sharing with our youth group and really what, what we've all been as, as teachers back there trying to share with our kids. And, and this last summer we had Reality Weekend, and the, the theme was Truth and Dare is what it was. And basically what we wanted to do is dare the kids to live the truth. And to know the truth, to live the truth, you got to know the truth. And... Uh, one of the messages that, that I taught um, was about identity, and is about who am I, because a lot of times, not just teenagers, but all of us have that longing to find out exactly who they are. Now, I remember years ago when I taught teens, um, I was a lot younger, uh, it's over 20 years ago that I started being a youth pastor, and you know, I thought I had to have a cool hairdo. I, I never could make that work, but, um, you know, dress cool, you know the lingo, and uh, just, you know, have all these cool teen-focused uh, messages for them. And, you know, what I've, what I've found was, over the years, what i found was that, really, you just got to be yourself, and you just got to go and teach the Word of God. Because teenagers are at this place in their lives where people, people haven't uh, put a lot of information in. They're, you know, they're not adults yet. And so they haven't been programmed, per se, on how life is supposed to work. They're still trying to figure that out. They're still trying to figure out who they are. And uh, so what we've been doing is helping to answer that question 
And as I prayed about this message and what I would share today, I really felt like this is something for the entire church. This is something, because I look at the American church, and, uh, you know, it kind of looks like, as a whole, there are a lot of people out there that aren't quite sure what their identity is. So we're going to dig into the Word of God. I'm going to move fast, so get ready. And uh, guys in the back, here's their list of scriptures I didn't hand to anybody. Uh, So I don't know if someone wants to take that and get a head start or you just want to work fast. There's a hand raised, and there goes a helper. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. That's the church at work right there. So first thing I want to do is go to uh, Ephesians, if you guys want to flip over there or find it in your phone. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. Give you a second. Okay, Ephesians 1, chapter 15, or chapter, sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that in that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also and that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits, who fills all in all. Can we take a minute and pray? Let's do this. Let's all lift our hands up. And just say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to me today. Open my eyes to see your truth. Open my ears to hear your heart. I give my life to you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well, in these verses, uh, Paul is talking to the Ephesians. And through this, of course, he's talking to us. But what he's doing, he's praying that the Father will give them Wisdom and revelation. He's talking about that he prays that, that he's doing that, that their eyes of their understanding may be enlightened, so that they may know and understand the hope of his calling. So there's a calling there. The riches of his glory in his inheritance. There's an inheritance there. And also the exceeding greatness of power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So there is a power toward us. So we're talking about a calling, an inheritance, and a power, and we're going to come back to that and talk about it a little bit later. But what Paul is doing, he's setting them up when he when he begins this epistle to him. He's setting them up to share with them the mystery of the gospel, which is their identity or who they are in Christ. 
Okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to the beginning. And uh, first off, let you guys know that there are two questions that uh, I believe every human being wants to know the answer to in their lives. The first one is this, who is God? And the second one is, who am I? And those two go together hand in hand. And every human on the face of the earth that's done this has asked these questions. Who is God? I remember as a young kid, who's God? What's he all about? Who am I? What am I here for? Those kind of questions. And we're born with a longing to know this truth. In fact, religions have been born because of people's longings to answer those questions. And uh, people may spend an entire life on self-discovery, just trying to figure out what's going on, traveling around, meeting people, learning things, and thinking that that's going to answer the questions. It's because we want, first off, we want to be seen. We want to be long. We feel like we, we want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And so those questions are the things that we yearn, yearn to get the answer to, the things that we long for. So science has tried to answer that, haven't they? Right? Big Bang Theory. Out of nothing, something exploded. So nothing exploded. <laughs> And became something, right? And then that's something organized. And then within that organization of somethings, one little something grew legs. And somewhere that something with legs met something else with legs and uh, decided to start a family. Um, there it is. Um, and you know, that, that may satisfy some people uh, to, to explain why we're here, what, what's this all about, and, and explain away God. But one thing it will never do, it will never, it will never fill that void that we have, that longing for something bigger than ourselves. It's not going to happen. You can fill all of this up, but as long as this is empty, we're still all, we're looking for something else. And we're trying to fill that. And normally what happens is we fill it up with a career. We fill it up with relationships with people. We fill it up with stuff. And there's just this big void that we cannot satisfy. That's where Omar was. That's where we all were at one time. And that's where some of us may be right now, if we're really honest about it. Well, there's no clearer picture of a man and a woman that knew their identity, knew the answer to those two questions, who's God and who am I, than Adam and Eve. So what I want to do is I want to go to um, Genesis chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there. We're going to start in uh, verse 26. Actually, that's all we're going to read um, right here. Genesis 1.26 said, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
In youth group, we uh, joke about that being Mr. John. <laughs> the other Mr. John. So, so here, here it is. Adam was created by God. He was given dominion over the earth. This is his job. He brought all the animals to him. He named all of the animals. And, and Adam was in charge of all of that. And then God made Eve from Adam's rib, and then they together had dominion over the earth, okay? So their, their day consisted of tending to the garden. That's what God told them to do, tend to the garden. And then in the cool of the day, God would come in, and they would fellowship together. So that was their day. Work all day long. At the end of the day, God comes over with Cool Ranch Doritos, and they watch the game. That's what they did. They watched the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, they did. They was. That was back when they were winning. Anyway, it was, it was easy for them then to know the answers to those two questions because that was their life. That was what they were created for, and there was no other option for them in their life, no other way of thinking, Right? But something happened there. Something happened, and that was whenever they disobeyed God. And when that happened, it says in Genesis 3-7, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now I'll get back to what all transpired to get them to that place in a little bit. But what I want to talk about was the fact that they came to a place where they chose to obey something other than God, and they sinned, and suddenly their relationship with God was separated, okay? When they sinned, their eyes were open, they saw that they were naked. In an instant, their perception of life changed. Suddenly, instead of knowing exactly who they were and what they were supposed to do and what their life was about, a new alternative came to them. This new alternative was a place where they could live life apart from God. They hadn't known that before. They didn't know that before. And that's what they experienced. And so now this new way of living came to them as a freedom that came. But it didn't bring a feeling of freedom. It didn't bring a feeling of relief. What did it bring? Feeling of fear, didn't it? Feeling of fear. So in an instant, their life with God changed. Their life with dominion, having that dominion over the earth, changed. And when sin enters, entered, the, the new reality of life apart from God became part of their being, and all they could see was their nakedness. So they quickly sewed together fig leaves to cover, cover themselves. Fig leaves are about this big around if you've never seen them. They're not real big. And they're not, or actually, they're not round either. they got, like, fingers that stick out. They don't cover things very well. I think if it were me, I'd go for the banana tree. <laughs> but they went for the fig leaves. So they sewed them together, and they made a covering. And see, think about this for ourselves. 
when we don't know who we are, we do the same thing. When we don't know who we are, all we see is our nakedness, and we try to cover it up. And that's where the career comes into play. That's when possessions come into play. That's when putting ourselves into relationships with people come into play. Not saying relationships with people are a bad thing. Not saying possessions are a bad thing. Not saying career is a bad thing. We all need to have those. But when we attach those to our identity and that becomes who we are, we have missed it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say today. Thank you. All right, so Genesis 3, I want to look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And, of course, God asked the question, who told you you were naked? See, once sin entered, Adam and Eve experienced, for the first time, fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Now, I know Proverbs 9.10 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? That word, that fear of the word is yirah. It is reverence. The Hebrew word is yirah. It's reverence. That means, that means reverent fear of the Lord. The fear that they experienced in Genesis was a word that is pronounced yare, which is fright. They were frightened of the Lord. There's two different things. There's a principle right here. When you're in the Lord, your fear is a reverent fear, and that is a healthy fear to have. When you're outside of God, you're outside of his kingdom and his relationship with him, you are frightened of God. And a lot of times that fright leads us to try to explain him away because we, don't, we can't even imagine the consequences of living a life without him. So the fright of God made him question his character because they didn't know what he was going to do. And this is that unhealthy fear. And it had nothing to do with the unfaithfulness of God at this time. It had to do with the unfaithfulness of them, but they were still hiding from him. In verse 8, it says, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But here's the thing. This was the time of day that he came to visit. He would come and do that every day. When they took of the forbidden fruit, he didn't just run out there right when they did it and said, hey, what are you guys doing? He didn't. He saw it happen. We know he did. Because God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He saw it, but he didn't go rushing in there. He came at his appointed time in the day to spend time with them. Because God does not change. God is the same. And his purpose for them had not changed. And his character had not changed. And his actions had not changed. Now, if you read through the Bible, the way he... The way he interacts with people will change, but God himself never did change. He's always the same. We need to remember that. Since the the fall of mankind, man's been busy covering himself and hiding from God, and we've gotten good at it, but it's not solved any of our problems. It's just made them worse. But the good news, 
Jesus came to bring that back into proper perspective for us. Amen? So, what I've discovered is that there are two main things that Jesus came to do. Now, if you, go, if you want to make a list of all the things Jesus came to do, we'll be here a long time. Because he did a lot of things while he was here. The first thing we could think of is he came to die for our sins, right? But he came to heal the sick, right? He came to raise the dead. He came to set the captives free. There's a lot of things that Jesus came to do. But there are two things that I see that, that kind of hold it all together like two bookends. And the first one is he came to reveal the Father. Because this is a world with a history of people that didn't know God. All they, they only, the Jews only knew God through the priests, right? And through the law. They didn't know God himself, right? Moses knew God. Moses drew near to God. But the Israelites ran away from God. You can read that in uh, Exodus 19 and 20. Um, we won't get into that today. But... The second thing Jesus came to do was to restore our identity. Yes, he died for our sins to give us eternity. Got that. But there's some time in between the time we choose to follow him and the time we go into that eternity, right? And so for that, there's a time where we have a restored identity, and Jesus came to give that back to us. Isn't that good news? All right, so let's uh, start with the first thing that Jesus came to do. Um, I want to go to John chapter 14 real quick. While you're turning, I'll, I'll mention that these two things he came to do, to reveal the Father and restore our identity, goes really well with the two things, the two questions that every human asks, who is God and who am I? All right, John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is, Jesus is proclaiming something here. He says, you're seeing me. You're seeing the things that I'm doing here on the earth. I'm pointing you to somebody else. And Jesus is that gate, and Jesus is the one that opens the door for us to have restored fellowship with the Father. So he's revealing the Father through that scripture, and he goes on. And um, verse 7, it says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father, and from now on you know him and have seen him. What he's saying is, everything you've seen me do, that's how the Father is. That's what he does. Jesus did some amazing things, didn't he? Jesus um, did all the things we listened, healed the sick, raised the dead. This is the Father. This is the Father that wants to set the captives free. And so Jesus came to do that. John 14, 9 says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So he's saying anyone who wants to know the Father, the characteristics of the Father, really just need to study Jesus to, to understand this and uh, know what he values know how he operates. And he did some other things too, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and I wanted to read this. Truly know God, we must look to Jesus 
We must invite him into our hearts. We must commit to following him, read what he says in the Scripture, read what the Scriptures say about him. And when this happens, we can know him intimately, and we can do this through the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor Scott's going to come and teach us in a couple weeks. He's going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit plays a very important role in our relationship with God, with the Father, because his role is is just like Jesus, because Jesus went away, Spirit came. I hope I'm not stealing your thunder. Spirit came, and He is actively revealing the Father to us. And so we've got to have that together. If it's just head knowledge, knowing about Jesus and the things He did, uh, we're, only, we're only getting a, a fraction of the picture. We've got to have this relationship with the Holy Spirit and let Him reveal things to us that we couldn't otherwise know. Amen? All right. So it's only through that intimacy that we can truly know the Father. And uh, what we'll find is that God's really no different than he was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. He's put us here to tend the garden. He's given us each a garden to tend to. And he wants to come and fellowship with us in the cool of the day. Whenever that is, that's what God wants. God wants fellowship. He wants us to have dominion, and he wants us to fellowship with him. And through Christ, that's made possible. All right. So the second thing Jesus came to do, like I said, is restore our identity. And in Genesis one twenty six, you don't have to turn there, but that's when God chose man to make or chose to make man in his image, and he gave him dominion over the earth. Remember that? So, um, man was in charge of everything. He was also in charge of the serpent in the garden. And I want to get through that. I want to kind of go through this. See, at one time, uh, the serpent was named Lucifer. Lucifer was one of the archangels. So there was Lucifer... There was Gabriel, and there was Michael. There are three that we know of. Um, There could be a whole lot more, but those are the three that God has revealed to us. And because of his pride, Lucifer was stripped from his authority, and he was cast to the earth, right? So think about how humiliating this must have been to him to have all of this glory, to be right there in God's court, with the other archangels, get prideful. Now he's cast to the earth, and he's there. He's stuck. He's stuck on the earth. Now, when, when man came along, I don't know the sequence of events. The Bible doesn't really say all that. But the sequence of events, um, somewhere in the sequence of events, he is on the earth with man. And when Adam and Eve are on the earth, they have dominion over everything over every beast, over every fish, over every bird, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And I think Satan was probably pretty creepy. So uh, he had dominion over him. And um, he had to devise a plan to get that back. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just paraphrase the story just to save a little time. So we've got Eve alone in the garden, and we've got the serpent, right? Satan, Lucifer, serpent. Serpent is in there. He 
He pulls her toward the tree of knowledge. He gets her to question God's command about not eating that fruit and in turn question God himself. And then he gets her to eat that forbidden fruit. And then Adam eats it, right? So in doing that, what they did is they forfeited their authority that they had because if, well, let's go to this, Romans 6.16. I want you to read it. So they chose to obey Satan instead of God. That's up there. Romans 6.16 says, To whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey. When they chose to obey the serpent or Satan, what they did was they forfeited their authority because they became slaves to him. They obeyed him rather than obeying God. Okay, so this is kind of the legal, legal part of God's kingdom. All right? So when they did that, they gave him dominion. They handed it over to him. All right? Now, just in case you guys might think I'm full of hot air, let's go to um, Luke chapter 4 real quick. Told you we were going to read a lot of Scripture. All right, so in Luke chapter 4, while you guys are flipping, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and he he was fasting, he was praying, and he was being tempted by the devil, Scripture says. He's been tempted by the devil for 40 days. And there are three recorded temptations that Jesus had, three recorded temptations. Um, there were probably a lot more, but three of them recorded. The second one is when, G- when Satan took Jesus to the highest mountain, and he could look over and see all the kingdoms. And he said, here in verse 6, he says this, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, Satan couldn't have said that if he didn't have that authority, right? And that authority had been delivered to him. Who delivered that to him? Adam and Eve delivered that to him, okay? So, Satan had gained that authority. Now, what he was trying to do, he was trying to get Jesus to take the authority without the cross. That's what he wanted to do right? But if Jesus were to take the authority without the cross, then that means he would have to obey Satan, and Satan could keep that authority. But Jesus chose not to obey him, and he lived his life without obeying Satan, so he was able to gain the authority back because he was the perfect sacrifice. Good stuff, isn't it? All right. That's what I'm teaching teenagers. All right, let's go to Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. I'm going to have to move a little faster. <clears throat> All right, twenty-eight, eighteen. And this is after Jesus had completed his ministry. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. And uh, he's with his disciples, and he says, verse 18, All authority has been given me, given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, Jesus already had authority in heaven, 
and he, and he gave that up. Remember, he gave it up, and he came to earth, became a human being. He lived his life, and then on the cross, he was a perfect sacrifice, and he won that authority back from Satan. And so now he stands there and says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So he's carrying that authority, right? So in verse 19, what does he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. With this statement, what Jesus did is he delegated it back to us. He says, all this authority has been given to me. Now, go. Go make disciples because I'm handing that authority to you. So, in a nutshell, Adam and Eve had the dominion, had the authority, The serpent came, deceived them, and they lost that authority. They gave it to him. He had it. He offered it to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't take it. Instead, Jesus came and won it back, and then Jesus handed it right back to us. That's good news. All right. So I want to talk about carrying that authority and what that means. Um, the company I work for, I work for the owner, and he has, he has his company. He's worked several years, and he's got it. And he hired me to really oversee the business itself. That's what I do for the guy. And he's given me the authority to do that, right? It's his business. He's given me the authority to do that. And so when I implement a policy for the organization or when I sign a contract for the organization, I'm doing that in the name of the business, right? And so that's the relationship we have in the kingdom of God with Jesus, the positional authority that we have. Jesus carries that authority. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And then we work for him, right? And so because we work for him, we can go and we can sign our name and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Right? So that's the authority that we've been given. And that's awesome. So when we, when we heal the sick, when we cast out demons, when we raise the dead, we do it in the name of Jesus. All right? All right. So I'm going to skip that part. All right, so let's go to Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, and I'll try to wrap this up. So we already read this before, and we'll read it again. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Now, according to Ephesians, Jesus is at seated at the Father's right hand, where? In the heavenly places. Say heavenly places. Heavenly places. Okay? Verse 21, it describes where they all are. The heavenly places, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Okay, so when he's, when he's in the heavenly places, he is far above 
all principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, right? All right, so who are the principalities and powers that we're talking about? Ephesians 6.12, if you want to flip there, you can. If not, just look right up here. I'm trying to move fast. All right, Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, okay, so it's not people we're wrestling against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You guys get that? That's who the principalities are for, or, or, or that's who they are. They are probably, and Scripture says when, when Satan fell, when Lucifer fell, he took a third of the stars. I'm, this is speculation. I haven't, Pastor, you may correct me after this, but my speculation is when he took a third of the stars, he was one of the three archangels, and he had a third of the a third of the angels that were underneath him, under his authority, and when he fell, they went with him. That's what I'm guessing. But these principalities and powers work for him, and they're at work in the world today. And so if you want to know who's responsible for all the chaos and all the violence and all the wars and everybody fighting everybody, that's the answer. That's who's doing it. There is a, there is a, a whole world of activity going on uh, that we're not seeing. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, if, if God was a loving God, why is there so much evil in the world? If God was a loving God, why did these bad things happen? If God was a loving God, I just gave you the answer. You're welcome. So if anybody says that, take them to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 6. All right. But the good news is Jesus has authority over all of those things. And in Christ, when we are in Christ, so do we. We are not subject to that. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. We don't have to be afraid of his schemes. We just walk about doing what God wants us to do with our chin up, shoulders back, and we live this life. Amen? All right, see where we are here. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. This is when it gets good. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, we're talking about Satan, right? According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, they were under, they were under, we were under his authority. That's it. We were walking according to his ways before we came to Christ. If you ever worried about the people in your life and, and why when you get closer to God, if they're not following God and you get closer to God and they start doing things that just really bug you and, and going totally the other way, this is why. This is why, because there's this battle going on, and the enemy wants to distract you, and he's not going to come in physical form. He's going to try to use people that are under his authority. Amen. Got it? Amen. All right. 
That's why we pray. That's why we don't, that's why we don't get angry. And that's why we don't hate people. And that's why we don't get even. Because they, they're lost and they need to be set free. And the only way to do that is for us to intervene. And that's why we are walking in this authority now. Right? We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with the principalities and powers on the other side of that hateful word that just came at us. Okay? All right. Now where are we? Okay. Did I finish that? No, I didn't. Ah, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the what? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are the heavenly places? Far above all principalities and powers, right? This is a scripture telling you what I just told you, and you may not have believed what I said. Scripture just told you that. We are in Christ. We are above. We have that authority now. When we're in Christ, we are the same place Adam and Eve were in when they were in the Garden of Eden. Our job now, tend to the garden. Our job now, fellowship with God. Let the enemy do what the enemy does, and we follow Christ, and we do the things that he tells us to do, we will walk in the victory that we're all trying to find. Okay? All right. So why don't we live this way then? It's all good stuff. Why don't we live this way? I think because we allow the world to tell us who we are. We allow people around us to tell us who we are, to define us. We allow the people in our lives. We allow television. We allow the Internet. We now allow all those things to tell us who we are without getting to the place where we fully understand our, our position, fully understand our identity. And I'm convinced that if the church fully understood those things, we wouldn't have half the problems we are today. We'd be in revival. This place would be full There'd be people waiting in the parking lot to get in. Amen? So let's start living that way. All right. Where am I going to go here? You know what? I've got to, uh, I'll just skip forward. John 1, 2, 6. 1 John 2, 6. That's what I wanted to say. I'm going to talk about walking out our authority. 1 John 2.6 says this, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So we are to emulate Jesus. So when Jesus walked on the earth, the things that he did, that's how we should be living. Those are the priorities we should be having in our lives. That should supersede anything else. Any mortgage that we're trying to get on a new house, any job that we're trying to get, we are to be focused on being Christ in the earth first, and then all of those things will happen around us. But if we're focused on Christ first, then we'll be able to have our lives in order. We'll be able to walk out in our identity. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. All right? So when we walk like he walked, that means we should be healing the sick. We should be casting out demons, right? We should be raising the dead. How many of you believe in healing? 
How many of you believe in that? Okay. There's a lot of hands go up. Don't show your hands now, but how many of you are praying for people and you see them healed? Right? I asked you not to raise hand. I am seeing some. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, sometimes I think we don't fully believe it, and I want to talk about that, and I'm, I'm going to try to let some of you guys off the hook, okay? So go with me to John 3.16, and I want to talk about our faith for a second, and then we will close. We can probably all quote this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, show of hands, how many of you believe in Jesus for salvation? Show of hands. Hands all over the place. Hands all over the place. Okay, so you believe in him for everlasting life, right? So everlasting life, how long is that? It's forever. It's forever. It's a long, it's, it's bigger than saving for retirement, isn't it? It's a long, long, long time. And we are putting all of that at stake in our belief in Jesus. Am I right? So you're trusting your entire eternity in the story of a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. Am I right? Because your faith is in Jesus, you believe that you are going to heaven. Amen. Okay, we've established that. All right. Let's go to John 14. Verse 12 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Now, let me ask you this. Who are we believing in in this scripture? He who believes in me. Right? So, we said in John 3.16, we believe in Jesus, and we're staking our entire eternity on that belief in Jesus. Right? Right? In John 14, 12, the same writer, quoting the same person, Jesus, says, If you believe in me, believe in Jesus, just like you did for eternity, then the same works I do, you will do, and greater works will you do. Is the light clicking on? See, the, the, the question is not our belief in the works themselves. A lot of times when we go and we, we think we need to pray for healing for somebody, and, and I, I know I was this way a long time ago, and sometimes even recently, but I, I go to people and, and I, I'm starting to think, okay, God, I've got to, I've got to get this feeling of faith in me, and I, you know, and you just got to feel like I'm full of faith. Anybody ever felt like that? Am I the only one? All right, all right. So, and, and then I'm believing for healing, right? I'm believing for healing. But that's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, and then you walk like he walked. And what did he do? He prayed for healing, right? 
He prayed for healing. And time and again, whenever I've, uh, whenever I've done this, it, it's amazing. Now, it doesn't always... I'm, not every time I pray for somebody do I see a, a miraculous healing. It doesn't happen. But there are times when it happens. Some of you can, can attest to the fact that you have prayed for somebody and seen some amazing things, right? When we were, when we were in the youth group, and, and I, I purposely stepped back, and I let the teens do the praying, and I just teach them how to pray teach them how to pray in their authority. They understand their authority, and so they're praying for people, and we see miraculous healings all the time. We've seen broken bones made whole back in that room back there because the teens know and understand who they are, okay? And the faith is in Jesus, so the same faith that we're believing for our eternity is that same faith that's going to give us the ability to do greater works than Jesus. The same works and even greater works than Jesus. And that's not a corporate thing. I've heard it said that, well, they, they say greater work because he's talking about the church as a whole. But that's not what the Scripture says. It says you, doesn't it? It says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, and greater works than these, he will do. Not they will do. It's he will do. So it means if we walk out our identity and we walk out our position and we are at one with God, then we're going to do those things in our faith in Jesus. Amen? Can we do that? Amen. I don't know where to go from here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know exactly where to go from here. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have spoken to the hearts of the people, spoken to my heart. And I'm asking, Father God, for that to be made true in their lives. Everything that they've heard, that we understand who you are and that we work on that and we just seek our relationship with you. And that we also seek to understand fully our identity and to walk in it and to experience it and to see the adventure that it is to follow you. Now, with eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity. Some of you guys, um, I just want to make sure that there's nobody here that hasn't ever believed in Christ for their salvation. So if that if you have not done that and you want to do something about it today, will you lift your hand high in the air? Anybody? Okay, very good. We're all saved. Now, if you have trusted Jesus but you've been at a place where you haven't fully understood your identity, fully understood who you are, and you haven't been walking in it, and you want to make a change in your life, raise your hand. I feel like there might be some more folks. Keep your hands up, if you would. 
Okay. Good. Now, those of you that have your hands up, just want you to make another bigger step, and I want you to stand up where you are. Just stand up where you are. And we're going to do what the church does best, okay? Anybody else? Nothing to be embarrassed about. Okay. First off, we're going to pray a prayer, all of us together. And then I want to give you guys a chance to pray for those around you, okay? Let's pray real quick. Father, and those of you that stood up, I want you to just repeat after me. Everyone repeat after me. Father God. I have doubted, and I've not fully entered into what you have for me. But today I'm making it right. I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. I'm seeking you for my identity, and I'm giving my life to you 100%. No turning back. I'm taking my positional authority in the name of Jesus. And I'm walking with you in Jesus' name. Okay, now I want you guys to look and see the one standing up. If you're right next to him, put your hand on them and just pray for them very quickly. And stretch your hands to them. we got somebody right here. If you guys would, let's be the church and let's just lay hands on them. I just want you to speak blessing into him. You guys, you guys do it. You guys speak the blessing into him right now. Speak that they'll come into their authority. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. Overwhelm them, Lord. Open their eyes to see the truth. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for praying. That's what the church is supposed to do. And we don't have to just do that on Sunday. Amen. Now, those of you guys that stood up, when, when we're done here, I, I want to ask you just to come up to one of the prayer partners. And if you did not stand up and you want to, if you have prayer for anything, come up and let these guys pray with you. Uh, these guys have hearts for God, and uh, they'll be able to, to help you out a lot, okay? Did you guys learn something today? Amen. Amen. Amen.